Ladies and gentlemen, Waterproof Records is back. I'm here. I'm in the studio. And I'm so excited because for the first time ever, you've listened to the show. You've heard me have guests before. But the guests have been over Zoom calls. We haven't been in the same space. Well, I did have my brother with me. But I've never had a guest. My brother doesn't count. I love you, Joel, but you're just, you know, you were just along for the ride. But for the first time ever, I have a guest with me today, and I am so excited. I've been just chomping at the bit all day, kind of shaking nervous energy, because we are welcoming Olivia Nilsson, daughter of the legendary Harry Nilsson. I'm so happy to be here. Things are going to change. I can feel it. It's just going to be that kind of fun. I am so happy that you're here. This is exciting. This is such a thrill. Um, so thank you. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure. I, I really appreciate that. Now I am going to read my little Believe Studio preamble. This is what I got to say in this space here right now. Not what I got to say, what I want to say. Today's episode is recorded at Believe Limited in Silver Lake, California. Believe specializes in entertainment that affects change and is responsible for various forms of content, including feature films documentaries, and podcasts, much like this one. You can check out their work at BelieveLTD.com. Believe Limited, we do special things. Ugh, that might be my best reading ever of that. Um, but again, I am so glad that you're here, and I actually got the chance to meet Olivia via TikTok, <laughs> where friendships are born, Right? On the internet. <laughs> On the internet. What a life-changing app that is because I don't know about you, but I was really hesitant to get a TikTok. Were you kind of on the on the fence about it or were you like, let's do this? So I had done a Twitter and an Instagram official Nilsson at official Nilsson for my dad before. Yeah. When I started TikTok, what I was nervous about was putting my face on it because mm. I would always just be semi-anonymous, like it's run by the family of Harry Nilsson, but I wasn't like putting my name and my face exactly, out there. Exactly. Yeah. But with TikTok, it, it you really, you thrive by being more personal and more genuine. So I put my face and, you know, said, hi, you know, I'm Olivia for the first time. And that was a big step for me. Big step. Well, I'm glad you did. And so you are kind of like really leading the charge for Harry Nelson's legacy online, if you will. Right. Yeah. And yeah. another cool thing about TikTok is that it will show your videos to people who might be interested in Harry Nelson, but haven't thought about him for a while. They didn't right. they didn't go searching for Harry Nelson that day, but the algorithm knows all. Yes. So it sends those videos their way. Yes. So that's been Really exciting to like share that with people who are telling me, oh, my God, like I haven't thought about this song in 30 years totally. or I've never heard of this song. And now I love it. I want to go listen to everything else he ever did. I know I'm I'm experiencing the same thing. And I'm not even the, the artist or musician, but I'm I'm showing these songs that were so cherished to me when I was growing up. And people are like, I haven't thought of that song in 25, 30 years. And I'm like, man, I listen to this song like every week. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it's just so funny how music ebbs and flows in our lives. Yeah. But I want to tell the audience, you know, people who listen to this show are big fans of music, but they might have very genre specific or decades that they're they're stuck in. And if you don't know who Harry Nilsson is, you need to absolutely go check out the massive library of content. Um, an incredible singer. 
three and a half octave range, I believe it's the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the stat. That's right. Um, a beautiful singing voice, an incredible songwriter, prolific, left us with so many great songs. And when the Beatles were asked who's their favorite artist, they said Harry Nelson. So if that isn't enough for everybody to go out right now and check out all of his music, then I don't know what else I can tell them, right? <laughs> you said it best. Oh, thank you. Thank you. What an honor. But I was so excited because when I saw you on TikTok, you know, this is relatively new for me, this this making this content and getting an audience and whatnot. But I'm a music lover. I'm a, a huge music fan. And I'm scrolling through and you see things about music and record collectors. And then I saw Official Nilsson. And I'm like, I literally, I like, I was like, oh my God, I was sitting there with my wife and I was like, there, Harry, Harry Nelson has like, this is an account linked to Harry Nelson. I have to reach out to this person. I have to, and right away, I was like, I'm going to make a video. I'm going to do one of those duets where I'm going through my records because I want to get her attention. I want her to know that I'm not just some yokel scrolling through, <laughs> that I am a fan and I'm dying to meet her. And so I'm so glad that we connected and it, it, it took us a minute to uh, meet in person, but. Alas, here we are. Well, I'm curious to ask you, like, what was your entry point to Nilsson? Because I see you've got a stack of vinyl there. So mm-hmm. what was the first song that you heard? Or I'm so glad <laughs> you asked because I think I was introduced to Harry Nilsson without knowing I was being introduced to Harry Nilsson. And yeah. that's through the cinematic classic Popeye. Oh, really? Yes. Because, oh yeah, when so I was. Good. A, yes. Oh, my gosh. Robin Williams, Popeye. Um, when I was a kid, I loved that movie. Yeah. I loved that movie so much. And it is kind of a strange movie. It's a little it's a little off kilter and the older you get, you know, it's it's you realize it was a it was a point in time. It was the 1970s or the early 1980s and so yeah. it was a it was an unusual interpretation of Popeye, but it, the music the music was the thing that I never forgot about. It always stayed with me. There were these very haunting, beautiful melodies that were being sung, and they resurfaced when Adam Sandler made a movie called Punch Drunk Love. And I remember when they used He Needs Me in that song, it suddenly rushed back. And I was like, oh, I love that soundtrack. I need to get that soundtrack immediately. Yeah. And it was right around this time. I don't remember when Punch Drunk Love came out, but there was a documentary called Who's Harry Nelson and Why Is Everybody Talking About Him? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that came out in 2006. And my father-in-law, Jim, he knows music. You know, he's like me, but 30 years before. You know, his era of music, he's yeah. obsessed with it. And so he was he was with me. He was like, do you know about Harry Nilsson? <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. And he's like, you got to sit down and watch this documentary right now. <laughs> and I watched it. And that's where everything really changed for me. So that, that was a long answer to question my introduction. But it was Popeye. The documentary, and then I was like, I need to get everything I can yeah. from oh, your dad. I love hearing that because yeah. when I speak to people who love Harry Nilsson, they all have a different origin story. Yeah, I bet. And and some people know him from like the mid seventies era or the work with John Lennon. Yes. Other people know the point. Yes. Um, and it's rare I meet somebody who came into it through Popeye. So I really love that. Yes. Have you heard the the demos that they released a few years ago? I think um, so. I think on on Spotify, I think when you when you go through the soundtrack, there's some demos in there where yes. he's singing yeah. along with you know, he's like, but I do it's like so sweet. Oh, it's, so, I know. it's so sweet. I just saw a clip of Shelley Duvall. It was an interview she'd given a few decades ago. Yeah. Um, but she was talking about how um, Robert Altman wanted to cast her, but the yeah. studio didn't agree. And she had to convince them that she could play that part. 
And I guess what Altman told her to do was go to my dad's house and learn he needs me. Really? And yeah. And so once they heard her sing that song, they had to agree that she was oh the only gosh. olive oil they could That's consider. incredible. Yeah. It's amazing to think they would look at her and not think she has to be olive oil. If you've seen the cartoon and you yeah. look at Shelley Duvall, you go, it kind of feels like she was born to play that part. Exactly. But that's pretty cool. Yeah. So she sang it with your dad and then and then that, uh, that was those demos yeah. that you can hear. And then when they were filming that, my... Dad and mom and older siblings, I wasn't born yet, yeah. um, they went to Malta where they were filming that and they all, all the musicians were on the island yeah. getting into trouble oh, yes. um, <laughs> the yes, whole time. Yes. Um, but I think that was a really impactful experience in his life. I think he loved working on that. Yeah, that that's kind of why I said that it was an off-kilter, bizarre film. I, I only have that knowledge and that insight because there was another documentary. Obviously, as much as I love music, I'm also a movie junkie. I watch yeah. tons of movies. And there was a great documentary called The Kid Stays in the Picture. And it was about a yes. very famous producer. Bob Evans. Bob Evans. And it talked about the time in uh, you know, making Popeye and how how crazy and wild the experience was. So yeah. I think once you see that documentary, you go like, oh, wow, that was that was a bunch of you know crazy Hollywood folks making Popeye. Yeah. You know? It was supposed to be kind of this family film. Yeah. But the soundtrack really is um, beautiful. And I think that when you hear those songs... After you find out it's it's Harry Nilsson, you go, of course it is. I can hear it. You know what I mean? You can hear it in his melodies and the way that he, you know, goes those high notes and and yeah. and even that swinging that he has mm-hmm. to his vocal style that you hear mm-hmm. in there that I, I just think is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, but it it had to have been when I picked up Nilsson Schmilson that that really that was where the obsession began. And I think that's a great entry point for people who don't know. It's a good place to start, at least in my yeah. opinion. What What do you think? I absolutely agree. Like if, if, if there's anyone listening who's like, I don't really know who Harry Nilsson is, yes. definitely pick up that record first. Um, we have it right here. Yes, because you'll see like so many different sides of him in this one yeah. record. It's beautifully produced by Richard Perry, who was able to like harness all of the craziness and yeah. make a great product. My favorite fact about that record is the very intentional song sequencing and the order he puts the songs in. Really? Because you see, Without You There was the big single. Yeah. And what comes after Without You? Uh, Coconut. Mm-hmm. That's the choice he made. What <laughs> a I funny just, choice. I yeah. love that because you're just like, you're you're going you're going so hard on that big vocal yeah. and it's this ballad and it's so yeah. sincere and then he just like pops the balloon. You yeah. know, he's just like... Yeah. Wink, I'm joking. Like it just that sense of humor and like that they're so those songs are so different, but he yes, put them are. back to back, you know, intentionally. <laughs> I love that. And and you know, people listening, some of Harry's biggest hits were versions of songs that were written by other people and yeah. and like Without You is is Pete Ham, am I remembering that from yeah. Badfinger? Yeah. And then his um, um, uh, Everybody's Talking from Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. That We know that version, but that was another one that he was doing that was written a couple years before. Mm-hmm. And so what's amazing is that those songs blew up and not some of all of these incredible original songs. Now, of course, one... One is the loneliest, mm-hmm. you know, number that was a that was an original. But he has so many amazing original songs that uh, had the potential to be huge singles, huge hits. And it was like they made that documentary called Who's Harry Nilsson because there was this the Beatles know about him. But why isn't he a household name for all those years for everybody? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, did did you guys ask yourself that or or is that something yeah. that he he thought about? I've thought about that question and 
one one answer I have is that he didn't promote himself in any of the traditional right. ways. He didn't have a manager or a publicist, yeah. and he didn't tour. Yeah, you know, he didn't. At the height of his popularity, he was declining all interview requests, and he was not doing any concerts, and he was just doing his own thing. Yeah. So I think later in life he reflected on that and knew that that probably wasn't the wisest career decision. Yeah. But it was true to himself. It's, yeah. You know how he wanted to absolutely to, to do that. Um, and I think what you were talking about, about the songs that could have been hits and weren't, I think Gotta Get Up is a good example yes, of that. Yes, absolutely. So many people heard that through Russian Doll. Oh, um, which, oh, I didn't watch that series, but they used it in Russian Doll? Yes, they used wow. it e- extensively. They used it like, it's, it's a kind of Groundhog's Day premise. Right, So right, every right. time they reset the, the clock, that song plays. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So it got a lot of uh, exposure. Yeah, time. a lot of people heard it for the first time then, and mm-hmm. they were just like, they didn't know who Harry Nilsson was, but it's a banger, you know, so they're it's really into it. It's a banger. Well said. <laughs> it is absolutely a banger. And this this record is so cool because it goes through all sorts of like every song is very different than the last. Yeah. It's 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 a very unique experience. And I mean, and the cover is iconic. You know, he's there in his robe, you know, like what a way to what a way to put yourself out in the world. I just love it because it's like, yeah, this is me. It's me and my, my robe. Do you have a do you know what any story behind I the... do have a story behind that. Okay. So he had a. That was also very intentional. So he wanted to pose in a bathrobe on the cover of this record. They were expecting it to be a hit record. Yeah. Um, and it was because he thought the bathrobe looked timeless. Uh, that's actually a good point. He's like, you can't date this to 1971, 72. It's just right. going to look like a bathrobe. It could have been made yesterday. That's very uh, true. <laughs> this could easily be an Instagram shot with a filter on it yeah. because it is a bathrobe. And you go, you know, they haven't innovated bathrobes yeah. they're still the same exactly. thing that's a great choice i love it and yeah i think this is 1970 71 right around that time and yeah. it is this is um the record my favorite song in this album is i love without you i love gotta get up i love coconut but the one that floored me on this one is i'll never leave you yes oh my god Aww. that song is really meaningful and to me it's like you know without you is the vocal performance most people are familiar with totally but this is a song that he wrote himself, and the vocals are just as out there and just yeah. as emotionally resonant. Yeah. Um, so I definitely recommend people check that song out. Should we listen to it? Yeah, we should. <laughs> and actually, I was going to say, we've referenced many songs here, and I was wondering, I, I went straight to I'll Never Leave You, but is there another one do you think we should give them a, an excerpt of, of from the album, or should we just go right to that one? Let's start with that one. Okay. It's kind of a gut punch. But <laughs> it is. It is. And I'll say to you guys before I hit play, well, no, let's just hit play, and then we'll talk about it afterwards.
my gosh. <laughs> I'm literally, I've got tears in my eyes. That is such a powerful song. Yeah. That is such a powerful song. Yeah. Holy smokes. I, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. It's a very, like, I had a hard time looking up at you because it's a very intimate, like, yeah. it's very emotional. Yeah. It's very sweet. And it's one of those songs that you listen to alone and, like, just kind of let tears stream down your face. Yeah. It is beautiful is there anything you can tell me about the writing or recording of that song that you know or is it just like I don't, it's a... I don't know the backstory on it really yeah and, you know people used to ask him if he would write songs based on real experiences he had had yeah. and real people and he would often deflect he would often really? say that like I'm just writing songs yeah. like you know but you got to think that like you can't write something like that without feeling, oh my God. you know, that way. So, you know, there's a there's a mystery about your dad. You know what I mean? Because of the lack of the live performance and 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 kind of pushing away at questions like that, he get he got to keep a lot to himself and uh, about his, you know, and uh, like of yeah. course, uh, being his daughter and 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 in the family, you guys might got a chance to see it, but the world, and I think that adds to his appeal. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's a little bit like. You figure out what's happening here in the song. You know, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And I think I think you probably hit the nail on the head with the idea that Nielsen fans love trying to figure him out. Yeah. And they love trying to dive deeper into the music. And yeah. it's full of the catalog's full of surprises. Yeah. You know, you're not hearing the same repertoire again and no, again. Not at all. And when we were talking earlier about him not performing live, I think he gave many different reasons for why he didn't do that. Yeah. But one of them was the idea that if you're live on stage you're hearing how the audience responds to you in real time and they're always going to cheer for the hit that they knew last album wow you know they're not gonna appreciate your new stuff as much yeah and you might start to doubt yourself you know what you are putting out there because they're just giving you that it's like a feedback loop right um so you That's a grow good point like more stale that was you know one of his thoughts on it harry you <laughs> smart man <laughs> but his other line that i love is he said he didn't perform live because it was the only thing he could do as an artist that the Beatles hadn't already done. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. I love that. That's so good. But it's so good. That song, and and like we were talking about earlier, Without You gets the vocal take on that gets a lot of attention. And even in the documentary that I saw, I remember there's a story about he he's laying down the song. I might, I might yeah, mess yeah. up this story, but he's laying down the song and then he comes in and throws in that that massive take that high note like just yeah. walks in and nails it like out of the mm-hmm. gate but i remember that being such an impressive thing cuz you hear this this epic moment of that song and uh and it was just like he just you know hit record and there we go yeah, right exactly yeah unbelievable and also there's a lot of amazing musicians on this record yeah um most of his records there was, it's almost like he had a band. It was yeah. these same backing musicians on a lot of his records. And this one and Son of Schmilson especially, that the follow-up to this, um, there's a lot of names of people. If you're a fan of music in the 70s, you probably recognize some of these names because they yeah. were playing with the Rolling Stones. And then they were also in the studio with Harry Nilsson, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I need to get Son of Schmilson on vinyl. I don't have it. I, You know, it's cool when they reissue because I was never able to find Nilsson Schmilson an original so they did this record store day reissue, but these other ones are like the original pressings that I got, you know, Ariel Pandemonium Ballet, and uh, these were just, you know, every time I go to a record store, I always search to see if I can find one, and you know, sometimes they're in terrible 
shape, but you know what? I buy them anyway. <laughs> but I have here, I have Do It on Monday. Yes. Uh, Ariel Ballet, Nilsson Schmilson, A Little Touch of Schmilson in the Night, which yeah. is a lovely record. Mm-hmm. This is my mother. I When I wanted to show my mom more of him, yeah. I, I, I get, made her a copy of that this. That was my grandmother's favorite as well. My mom's mother used yeah. to listen to that on a cassette in her car. Because it's standards, you <laughs> yeah. know? It's like it really does cross that bridge uh, for people. And so I think that if anybody, not that a lot of your dad's other music, like even the hits that he had, I think my mom would have liked all of them. But this was like really the key to her heart. And it's a cool record because at, at that moment in time, it was such a left turn. It was yeah. such a departure from what he had been doing and yeah. what the audience expected him to do. Yeah. Like he had just done, um, you know, songs like You're Breaking My Heart, where right. he's uh, the single he's trying to put out can't be played on the radio because it's got swear words I in know, it. I <laughs> know. I know. Was that, you know, I would imagine, I don't even know the history of, you know, cussing and songs, but but when you hear these records and you, you know, I was going back and listening to a bunch of them and I was like, wow, like, was that controversial at the time? Do you know that the fact that he was dropping fucks at the oh, opening yeah, parts yeah. of songs? And yeah. I think the opening track on that album has another couple yeah. of words that I'm not going to say. On yeah. the- you can hear, you can. can. This is this show. Now you have, a, you know, people that maybe you don't want to curse in front of, but I, I'll have you know, and, and uh, I, when I started this show, I do a, a podcast that's environmentalism for work and it's clean and it's family and it's fun and all that stuff. For this one, I was like, you know what? If we want to let it fly, we let it fly. So I'm just letting you know there's no limitations on language on this podcast. You can I, say whatever you like. I'd like to keep it a mystery, but I would invite people to listen to the first track on Son of Schmilson, okay. uh, which is called Take 54. Oh, yes. There's some good lines there. Yeah. Yes, 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 where the voices <laughs> but, start talking. Yeah, right? but it was, very, it was very controversial. His label was like, what are you doing? What are you doing, What are you dude? doing? We can't play this on the radio. Yeah. He once was told by someone that they worked in a grocery store and they played you're breaking my heart on over the PA and they got fired for doing it. You know, like, really? Which, I mean, I think that happened today too. You yeah, can't. it would happen. You still can't do it. But yeah, back then but, it was even more so because now, you yeah. know, uh, the language is, is if you, if you tune in for the content you can hear it. But, but back then it was like, you wouldn't even yeah. dare he say that. He didn't record a radio edit version of that. He yeah. just put how he felt on the record and said, that's the single. Yeah. Um, which, you know, some people would say that's shooting himself in the foot, but I think he was more oh. creatively satisfied to do that. Yes. And I mean, I think, that that's the key you know when I just played that song um, just now I remember sharing it with a friend of mine and he was like wow this is like Radiohead before Radiohead that's (laughs) that was his feeling his his, modern day ear hearing that song was that there were ways and keys and melodies that we were shifting that were seemed back then like this how is this even possible that musically that he was figuring out how to do this whereas you know 20 30 years later a band would come along do it and be like wow they're changing music and it's like yeah. well Harry Nilsson was doing it <laughs> back in the 70s yeah. so um that's an incredible song was there anything else that we should play off of uh, Nilsson Schmilson and then I know there's a couple other so- songs that we wanted to try to play but you know, we're hoping we can play these songs in the podcast. Yeah. Fingers crossed. We're going to, you know, hey, I'm I'm talking to the source, but I still have to go to the man. <laughs> the man. I feel so. like we should play something upbeat so yeah, we yeah, can yeah. dry our tears. So we can dry our tears. One. Yeah, what, because my nose is running because I was crying. <laughs> it's really dusty in here, too. It's really, it's really <laughs> dusty. Believe Studios. No, you're clean. Um, yeah, should we show them just, maybe we should show them like... Um, some excerpts of like the some of these tracks like sure. or you know like yeah. gotta get up mm-hmm. you know so here we go you just gotta get up from Russian Doll and Nelson Schmilz. <laughs> gotta 
You know, I said I was going to just do an excerpt and then I was like, I'm not stopping the song. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so hard to stop a song like that because yeah. it's so fun. And you can really hear how uh, how him and the Beatles were friends because you hear songs like that and you go, well, these guys had similar sensibilities, right? Mm-hmm. This cacophony of noise, the way these horns are coming in. You're going, these guys were all inspired by the same kind of stuff. Like they were probably listening to your dad's stuff and going, we got to try stuff like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we got to do stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's really, really cool. Um, this is such a great record and we've spent a lot of time on it. Um, you know, I feel like we, we, we should put on the listener to go listen to without you and all the other songs. Mm-hmm. And if they haven't heard without you, then get with the program, right? <laughs> That's played everywhere. But I was going to say, let's move on to, before we get into the one that really floored you, cause that was my big questions. I want to know what was the piece of music that like melted your face off that you heard from your dad. But, um, do you remember things that really rocked his world or did your mom tell you things that were like growing up? This is the thing that really changed the trajectory for him musically or things that just were life changing other musicians and artists for him. Yeah. Yeah. Ray Charles. Ray Charles. Yeah. hundred percent. Ray 100%, Charles. He's 100%. A huge Ray Charles fan. Um, he would tell stories about late at night. He'd lie in bed. He'd listen to the radio station and anytime there was a Ray Charles song, just you know, pull up, that's and awesome. Turn up the volume. Um, and later in life, he got to meet Ray Charles, and really? I saw a photo of them together, and the smile on his face was so genuine because he was just like, "I'm meeting my hero." Totally. Yeah. So, totally. and and he loved Little Richard. Yeah. Um, so I think vocally, he probably was trying to emulate some Little Richard stuff. Sure. Um, but yeah, and then for like. People in his generation, obviously the Beatles. He was, you know, the biggest Beatles fan ever, and they were um, the biggest fan of him. You yeah, know, I mean, that's yeah. it's important for people to know that, like, those guys were probably hard to impress, and <laughs> you know, he impressed them. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. He was close friends with a songwriter named Jimmy Webb, who yes. wrote like Wichita Lineman. I recognize and, that name. Uh, yes, up and away. 
And um, I guess they were having a debate, an inebriated debate one evening uh-huh. about who was the better band, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. And they're, they're getting into it. And my dad said Beatles and Jimmy Webb's Rolling Stones. They're going back and forth. They were in a hotel room. Yeah. And my dad said, let's continue this out on the balcony. So they go out on the balcony and then he shuts the door on him, leaving him out in the cold and says, <laughs> now who's the greatest band in the world? <laughs> That's amazing. Well, yeah. I'm glad he won because he's right. Because <laughs> I like the Rolling Stones, but the Beatles are, you know, they're yeah. the greatest. Um, but uh, that's that's amazing. So Ray Charles and uh, Little Richard, and that, that's you can hear that musicality yeah. in his in his music, you know. And then he loved for like songwriters of his generation. He loved uh, Randy Newman, yes, and Laura Nero, yeah. who's uh, that's not a household name. No, no, I'm not. I'm not super familiar with her music, to be honest with you. But he always cited her as being one of his favorite songwriters. Yeah. Um, and then Randy Newman, he loved his songs so much that he did a whole album of yep. them. Nelson does Newman. <laughs> Nelson sings Newman, Nelson which sings is Newman. Randy Newman playing the piano, and my dad singing Randy uh, Newman songs. I actually didn't know that Randy was playing the piano yeah. on that. That's cool. That's really cool. I guess later he was said it was really like boring for him because he would just keep on, he would just play the same notes again and again and while my dad did different vocal takes. Right. And my dad produced that album and his whole goal was to like splice the takes together and make a, just a beautiful amalgamation of all those, yeah. you know, sounds. But for Newman, it was just like, I'm just playing piano. <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, because your dad was kind of a um, one of the more trendsetters in terms of like vocal doubling and harmonizing and stuff like that that was that was a newer thing back then and he was really playing around with ways that you could get these closer harmonies and and whatnot Mm -hmm. and i also read that your dad uh really started songwriting he was working at a bank in van nuys and he would do it in the middle of the night right yeah yeah Um, he worked the night shift at this computer center at the bank yeah and he got off at 2 a.m and then he would write songs and then in the morning he would he would say hustle the songs so he would go around and try to sell the songs to music publishers yeah and finally you know started to get uh breaks but i think he worked at the bank for five or seven years really yeah while on the side trying to be a musician that's amazing and then um you know, he met your mother in the 1970s. Yeah. And it was 19, it was 1976. Is that, am I right on that? Or is it, um, or is it they earlier? They probably met in 74. 74. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you would know. It's your mom. <laughs> it's your mother. But but this is really kind of the sweet story here, which is he, he marries your mom, Una. Yeah. And they have six beautiful, lovely children, one of which I'm sitting across from. <laughs> And um and they're together until his dying day. Yeah. And that was in nineteen ninety four. Yeah. Nineteen ninety four. Um, how old were you when your father passed? Um, I was almost ten. Almost ten. A week before I turned 10. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well I'm I'm relieved to hear that you were that age because it means that you have memories, you know, of being with your dad. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a father, I have two kids and uh, my oldest is 13, my youngest is seven. And, you know, it's at that really super young age that you do something great for your kids, you know, and take them somewhere when they're four or five. And then a couple of years later, you're like, hey, you remember Disneyland? And they're like, no, I don't remember it at all. So I'm so thankful that you had a couple of those years to really hang on to memories of of your dad. And yeah. would you share anything that you specifically remember about growing up with him? I mean, he was just the best dad ever. He was just yeah. a loving father and he was a lot of fun to be around. Yeah. And he was always trying to teach us things. He was so brilliant. He was just, yeah. he didn't have a lot of formal education. So yeah. I think I asked my mom once how much school he had had and she said oh there was some talk of the ninth grade so he dropped out when he was 15 i think wow and 
you know, he just, but I think he was a sponge for information, for knowledge. And he loved learning things and picking things up as he went. And then one of my memories as a kid is him trying to teach me about physics and math and all this stuff that he was interested in. Yeah. That's cool. I I remember reading somewhere, and this might not be true because the internet lies all the time, but they (laughs) said he was really into numbers and loved numbers so much that um, if you were to tell him your birthday... He could mm-hmm. say what day of the week you were born. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. And he tried to teach me that exact trick. Really? I remember. But he was so complicated, and I'm not a math person. So I am not either. Hard. So when I read that, I was like, that's but he incredible. Had, he, was te- he had a mnemonic device for each stage in the equation, and he was trying to teach me. And some of the some of his mnemonic devices went way over the head of you know a ten year old. So yeah. he's trying to like, dumb it down for me, but I, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't get that. I love yeah. that it's true. <laughs> it's true. I love that yeah. it's true. Um, and so your dad, being so musically gifted and talented, did that pass on to any of the of the children that are are, are, are any of you pursuing music? Uh, yeah, my brother Kifo Nelson is a musician, and he's done a really cool thing the last few years. He's been doing these shows where he plays the point. Oh, uh, the yes, album, the point, in which I have right here, yes. the point. Um, and those shows are, are really fun. So he he plays bass and he sings. Yeah. Um, and then he has a, a full backing band and strings and the whole thing. That's and then awesome. Each show has a different narrator. So the last show he did was in December, and he had John C. Riley do the narration, and oh, it was fantastic. That's awesome. I'm sad I missed that. Yeah. Does he do them here in Southern California, he, yeah, or are they was, everywhere? Um, he's done it all over the place, but this one was in Topanga Canyon. Oh well, yeah. I got to get to the next one. So, so let's talk. Yeah, next they, time there, he's doing there it. There will be another one I, this summer. So okay, once I'm, I get I'm the there. details on that, I'm going to. If you're going, I'm that. going. We're going to go. It'll be awesome. <laughs> we'll make yeah. it a, a night. And I think, you know, for him, it's it, it, well, it's so cool for all of us to see him performing those songs. But yeah. I think he's very aware of the fact that my dad didn't perform live. And so for yeah. the audience, they've never heard those songs live, of totally. course. You know, so it's really special to hear it. And the whole audience, like, is trying to sing along and there's yeah. a great energy. Is there anything about your brother when he's up there that resembles your dad? Like, do you see the the look in his eye or something? You're like, that's eh, a lot like dad. Well, they were born on the same day. Really? My brother Kifo. June fifteenth. Yeah. Um, and they're both very tall. <laughs> very tall. Oh, your dad was tall. Uh, he was very tall. Yeah, was yeah, he? yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. I think. I mean, he. I don't. I'm almost six foot, and yeah. I think he was six two, six three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's tall. Um, my and my brother is up there too. So yeah, yeah they look yeah. a lot alike. Yeah. And musically, I think my brother inherited just a lot of the talent. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's lovely. I'm glad that there's a there's a carry on there. You know, whenever you have. Music is such a big part, but it, it's clear that music is a big part of your life, too, and his music specifically. You care very deeply about what your dad created. Yeah, and I think, you know, we we're talking about how I was very young when he passed away. Mm-hmm. So my experience of, like, getting to know my dad after he died is yeah. really, I'm blessed to have the work he left behind. And yeah. I can listen to his voice anytime I want. And I'm just like any other fan, just, like, loving this it. music and just going as deep as I can into his whole story. And I think, for me, that that was my grieving process, was, yeah. like, learning about him. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what's been so fulfilling about going on TikTok and Instagram and telling stories is, like, I love connecting with people who love Harry Nilsson. And, yeah. you know, he's not a household name, but he should be. And he so. should be. And that's why you're here on Waterproof Records. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm the biggest podcast, but I eventually will be. <laughs> and you can say, hey, we were talking about it ages ago. But um, I'm, I am I want to know now the, the song that really took your breath away. Now, so many of them do. It's hard to probably narrow it down. But the mm-hmm. the one that when you heard, you were kind of like, 
that might be my favorite thing I've heard that my dad ever wrote. So there's a song that always comes to my mind first that probably not a lot of people have heard um, called Campo de Encino. Okay. <laughs> and he didn't write it. Okay. Um, it was written by Jimmy Webb, his friend. All right. And um, it's a it's a beautiful vocal performance recorded around the same time as those as Nilsson Schmilson and Son of Schmilson, like that yeah. era. Never released until many years later, just a demo. Um, but it's... I like the story behind it, which was a conversation he had with Jimmy Webb. A lot of Jimmy Webb stories, and they used to like argue about music. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they were having an argument, and my dad said to him, "You know the problem with your songs, Jim." And he's like, "Oh, what's that? Your voice, it stinks." Ah. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, what about you, Harry? Like, what about your songs? Like, coconut with the lime and the coconut doesn't make any sense." And he's like, "Well, that's something you wouldn't understand. Yeah. What's that? Humor." Ah. So Jimmy Webb wrote this song called Campo de Encino. To prove to my dad he could write a song with a sense of humor. I love it. It's full of jokes about like living in the 70s in the valley. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Jimmy Webb has a great version of it. But my dad's version, he plays it straight. All the lyrics are funny, but he's playing it like it's just a love song or you know, ballad. I love and it. And I love that contrast. And also, I had never heard this song until I was in my 20s. Um, when it was released for the first time, I it, it was in the vault somewhere at RCA. I just never heard it, so yeah. that's I think why it floored me. Is like anytime you hear something new from an artist who's been dead for a few decades, yeah. that's a special moment. Yeah, very special. Should we play it? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I've and got. You haven't it. heard it before, right? I've never heard this one before, yeah. so it's probably it's not on a major release then of of his. I, mean, or... I think it came out in a re-release. You know, okay. when they add things. It's saying yeah, sessions. Yeah. This is it. That kind of felt like we were debuting like a hidden song that no, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. glad that this was on the podcast because I'm sure a lot of people don't know this song 
even exists. Hardly anyone knows that song. Yeah. Um, it's, but, it says yeah, Sessions 1967-1975. So if you want to go listen to it, Campo de in, in Chino is what he said? He, he pronounces it in Chino and, and in As, Jimmy Webb's version, I think he says Encino, but yeah. But a reference to Encino, <laughs> the yes, town. Yes. Yeah. And lots of local uh, names and word dropping here if you live in the area. The helicopters, the San Fernando Valley. That was really nice. My favorite line in that song, this is you know Jimmy Webb, is a chamber group playing without any clothes. Good for the cellos, but hard on your oboes. Oh, that's so <laughs> good. And I, I think, just, I don't know, I, he loved humor. Yeah. And then the fact that he could sing it like that yeah, with I those know. silly lyrics, I like know. that just distills his personality for me. A hundred percent. That That is such a cool thing to share. And I'm glad you did um, because that's like, you know, that's where you you go, oh, I've got, I've got the daughter on this show so she can tell me about like this track that nobody really even knows <laughs> about or whatever. So. Man, I, I, I feel like I could keep you here all night, but I also feel like I have to at some point in time be, you know, conscious of your time and the studio's time. And um, but I wanted, you know, kind of as we get closer to wrapping up, is there um, a song that you wanted to share or is there a since you've been making the TikToks and sharing stories? Has there been one that literally has been like the the crowd favorite? You know, like the one that people go, that's my favorite story, or this is such a cool anecdote or a thing that I didn't know, or, you know, of, of yeah. the many. Um, well, TikTok's so weird. I don't know. It is. Like, it you is. Never know I know. You never know what's going to go, but that's <laughs> the funny thing. Sometimes things get, they go and you're like, huh, that's weird. I'm yeah. not even really talking about anything of importance. Yeah. But I think that the, biggest TikTok I put out was just about him as a father. So yeah. it was talking oh, about nice. um, he had seven children, six with my mom and, and one child, right. Zach, um, his oldest child. Um, and every time any of his kids was born, he would have these pins made, these buttons uh-huh. with their names on it and like their birthday and some facts about them. And they're all very punny. Yes. So like one of my brother's names is Ben E. Nilsson. Uh-huh. And the pin says Benny's Ben E's from heaven. Oh, Benny's I love it. Yeah, that. And mine um, just says Olivia Trivia, which was um, well, his nickname for me, actually. Yeah, Olivia um, Trivia. But uh, yeah, just I was just showing that because I'd actually never I seen. I saw that one. Yeah. I'd I never, saw that one. I'd never seen the, the button he had made for me because yeah. I think he made them and he passed them out to everybody. Right. For some reason, we didn't have one remaining in the house. Yeah, he but, didn't hang on to yeah. one. So you got it back. And so it was the first time that you got to see your baby yeah. button get it back to you. That's pretty emotional. Yeah, that was so really that, nice. That was really cool. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, well, yeah, it is such a fickle audience. And I mean, I'm experiencing the same thing. I'll, I'll like spend an hour or two making something, put it out there. Nobody cares. And then the one thing I'm like, I don't have time. I'm going to make this right now. And people get, uh, care about it. So mm-hmm. it's like, uh, who can predict what the algorithm will do? <laughs> but but the um, this experience tonight on or whenever people are listening to this podcast I hope that the diehard Harry Nelson fans have been like, wow, this is the insight. This is the glimpse into his family and his world that I've wanted to to know. And I hope that there's a lot of people that are learning about this incredible talent, this wonderful, beautiful voice, one that brought us to tears, that brought us to laughter. Um, and I hope that they go explore his catalog and see why he really was such a special um, part of music and history and why I obsessively try to track down his vinyl. And um, 
I'm just so thankful. So so before we get out of here, is there any other last pieces of music that we should play, or do you think we've we've done enough? Am I going to get, at this point in time, uh, brought down by the label? <laughs> we'll see if any of these <laughs> even get to make the final podcast. Oh, man. But I, uh, I know we we didn't get to cover Pussycats at all, mm-hmm. which is also a very cool record. You know, for those people who don't know, Pussycats is part of, if I'm not mistaken, that's part of the Lost Weekend uh, yeah, story. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah which which... For people listening, the last weekend is a time period where John Lennon um, and Yoko Ono are broken up, and he's kind of uh, you know doing his own thing for a little while. Yeah. And uh, Harry was rolling with John a lot during this time, mm-hmm. and Pussycats is the result of that time period. Yeah. And um, yeah, they were living together in a beach house in Santa Monica. Yeah, during that period with Ringo <laughs> with Starr, Ringo, I think Keith Moon and Keith Moon, Keith yeah. Moon as well. And so that's. That right there should give everybody just a moment. Be like, okay, just think about this for a second. There's a place in Santa Monica. John Lennon's there. Harry Nilsson's there. Keith Moon is there. Ringo <laughs> Starr is there. And then, if, if I'm not mistaken, there's a moment where Paul McCartney swings by. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then he swings by for a little bit, and, and John and him jam for a little bit. And mm-hmm. then it's like the last time they played together, yeah, I mean, or something I, I like that. I think that's right. Um, yeah, to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, to be a fly on the wall. And it's a cool record. Um, it's a really, really cool record. I know that there's, uh, I think you and I were even talking about a song on here um, when we were talking before. Or maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm Maybe I'm mixing up my albums. I don't know. We is were talking- Don't Forget Me? The don't one? Forget Me yeah. is what I was thinking of. But is that on Pussycats? Yes, it is. It is. Don't Forget Me. Yeah. That's an Nico incredible. Nico Case does a great cover of that song. That's right. Heard that, but yeah. Yeah, but that's a that's a beautiful song. But again, yeah. we we'll, we'll, we'll we played three powerful songs I think here tonight. We'll we'll um we'll let them go and explore the catalog of Harry Nelson. Is there anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap things up here on Waterproof Records? No, I think um my my final message is just listen to the music. Yeah. You know, there's so much joy yeah. to be had from diving into this catalog. Yeah. Yeah, he he really is uh he really is a, a talent and that voice and carries you to so many places and um I'm just so grateful that you took the time to be with me here tonight and I, I had a blast and I just I hope we can keep our friendship and we could go see your brother play the point yes or, that would be so awesome <laughs> this summer yes it would be so cool so uh, thank you everybody this has been uh, Waterproof Records and you've been watching me with my guest Olivia Nilsson daughter of Harry Nilsson so thanks for joining us we'll see you next time the songs that appear in this episode of Waterproof Records are courtesy of Sony Music Warner Chapel Music, and Universal Music Group. Thank you. Things are going to change. I can feel it. It's just going to be that kind of body.